part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Again, we're going to be looking at seven different lives over the next seven weeks and uh, starting today with uh, probably one of the most unusual characters in the entire Bible. This guy was... uh, if we saw him today, we would say that he was, um, had lost his mind, that he was, uh, needed some help because he ran around just kind of shrieking, cutting himself naked, and he lived in a graveyard among the graves. And so it's one of those things, that's not your typical person that you run into in everyday life. And if you did, you would probably run the other way. And so uh, it's a strange encounter, and yet we see that Christ very much uh, leaves this man very differently than the way that he found him. But let me start with this, uh, uh, hopefully an illustration this morning uh, by this question. And this illustration is kind of a setting for the next seven weeks. How many of you are not morning people? Just raise your hand if you're not a morning person. Okay. I'm just going to take a, a couple. Okay. One is Debbie over here. And okay, you, you're not either. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Because you got three kids now, okay? Okay? You have a job that, uh, I mean, both of you have jobs that you go, you go and teach and all this. So you're not a morning person, and yet what time of day does your day start? 6 a.m., okay? What about yours? About 6, okay? You got two kids. Well, you actually have two and a half kids. We realize with Ryan there, okay. And kind of the same way you got, you know, three kids and, and a husband there. Okay, how many years have you been in this new schedule of uh, kind of getting up at six and teaching and all that? How many years have you done that? Eleven. Kelly, how about you? Okay. So a schedule that demands that you get up early, six o'clock, you have duties to do instantly. There is no just kind of have a cup of coffee, and then just kind of warm up to the idea that it's morning time. And so you have this. You've been doing this now for years and years and years. You've been conforming to this because you'd get fired if you didn't, right? You wouldn't have a job, and probably children's services would come in if you didn't do certain things. And so you've conformed to a schedule that says 6 a.m. is this. But do you look like this in the morning? You mean 10 years of conforming has not transformed you into a morning person? How many of y'all can identify with this? This next one. <laughs> is that you? It really is? <laughs> How many of y'all, this is you? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm kind of that morning person too. Three thirty, four o'clock, I'm going, man, there's almost sunlight burning. You know, we got to go. We got to go. How many of y'all can more identify with this next one? Snoopy. Okay. <laughs> really, really important illustration. This was not just to, to, to look at. But I want you to think about what we just said, okay? You have a nature, and that is that, you know, you don't like mornings as much as you like afternoons or evenings, okay? And yet you have a schedule that demands that, okay, I've got to be up at 6. I've got responsibilities. I have, you know, mouths to feed. I have diapers to change. I've got this, that, and the other. I've got all these things to do. And so you've done that, and you've been on that schedule for a long time. And yet conforming did not transform you to where now you look that, like that first picture. 
And if you went on, do you think even 20 more years, do you think that 20 years later you would look like that guy? Well, you wouldn't look like that guy. But, you know, <laughs> but that you would wake up in the morning going, it is morning. I am so ready. You know, let's put it in fifth gear right now. Guys, we, we have certain natures. And just because you conform to a schedule, you conform to things that you do, doesn't always transform that nature. I want you to really grasp that little illustration. Because for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at lives that were transformed by Christ. And they were transformed because the power of the gospel, that he would die for them, that he would rise again from the grave and give them new life so that they could have a new mind and a new heart. That's the beauty of the gospel. And yet most of us and many of us have grown up thinking of church as kind of a conforming to certain standards. I told the young marriage this morning, I said, we do not make light of the moral standards and the high calling of Christ Jesus. The Bible says, God himself says, be ye holy as I am holy. I mean, you're talking about a high standard. He's calling us into holiness. And yet here's the thing. We can do that from one of two different approaches. We can approach that you know, invitation by either, okay, I'm going to have to get a lot better and Ricky's going to really have to start conforming and doing all these things, or that we can say, okay, only by the power of Christ in me and a transformed mind and a transformed heart am I going to be able to do that. For example, you may not be really by nature a really forgiving person. You might be by nature kind of a real nitpicky person. You know, you just like things the way you like them. And and that's probably not going to go away, you know, just because all of a sudden you get into a place where you have to be a little bit more lax, a little bit more free. Now, that nature is going to be there for a long time. Well, if we take that spiritually where God has called us to forgive as we have been forgiven, and all of a sudden we're just really not a forgiving type person. Folks, we don't need outward conforming to that. Okay, I will forgive. Honey, you're forgiven. That makes for a great marriage. Or do we say, okay, God, will you change my heart and my mind as I've been forgiven? Because that's the standard that, he, he, that's what kind of starts that whole process, that, that invitation of Christ. He doesn't say, okay, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there and just try a lot harder. No, he says, here's the model of my life that I've lived before you. And as I have forgiven you, now I want you to go and forgive others. This radical thinking, guys, is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conforming to a standard of morality and doing it in your own power is the foundation of religion. And and I I think I've probably said this before, I I despise religion. Because it is a trap. I am so susceptible to religion. Give me a list of things to do. I'm a doer. And so I like lists. And I like, hey, you give me six things, and if I check off all six, there's a part of me that thinks I am accomplished. So it goes with my nature to be kind of sucked in a little bit to this whole mindset of being a doer and conforming to a standard that's out there. And yet, while God has called us to be holy as he is holy, and he certainly has said, okay, this is what I desire for you, the whole way of getting to that holiness and living through holiness is not Bobby becoming a better version of the old Bobby, but it's by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
Romans 12, 2. When we were teaching in young marriage this morning, Craig said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible. <laughs> I said, yes, that's going to be part of the sermon. In fact, he's preached half of my sermon in young marriage this morning. So uh, Romans 12, 2. Actually uses those words, conformed and transformed. The context, a little bit different, but not really extremely different. We're not going to abuse this by taking out of context of what Paul originally meant when he's writing to the Romans. But here's what he said. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, there's a nature and there's a way of thinking that is just kind of the strategy of the world. It's part of your wiring. That When you got up in the morning, this is the way that you're wired and you kind of do this. A mindset. Uh, part of that conformity might be, um, hey, don't, don't let them uh, hit you. Hit them first. Or if they hit you, hit them harder. That's part of that mindset. And yet, there's all kinds of things that seem naturally right to us that we would kind of ascribe to. And yet, here's what God tells us. Do not be conformed to this world, this kind of thinking that kind of goes like that, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That verse goes on to talk about, then we will know what is the good and acceptable will of God. We will have pleasure in God's sight because we will know what God wants from our lives. But it's not through conforming, it is through the transforming power of Christ. Would you agree with that so far? Now, here's the big question. Well, how do we do that? That was a big question this morning. If we really want transformed marriages, we want to be a transformed husband and wife, how do we do that? It's coming back to the scripture and allowing the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, and the very spirit of God to begin to mold our mind to help us to think differently and to act differently. See, one of the amazing things about the hope of the gospel is the Bible says in the Old Testament that when we come to Christ, even though it's in the Old Testament, it says he took out this heart of stone and he put in a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that was kind of already set and now put a heart that's beating and is vibrant. And when we begin to think about the mind, everything we see in the New Testament starts to point us that Christ is coming in and transforming the way that we begin to think about things. You cannot come against the Word of God. You cannot sit in a setting where the Spirit of God is and not be kind of challenged and some of those places of our lives begin to be kind of agitated and rubbed and friction start to happen. And we begin to think differently. That's what I hope that we see over the next seven weeks. That we see that to kind of do this life, that God has not called us into just conforming to a standard. Hey, be nice, go to church. Hey, give a little money to the church for these causes. This Okay, here's your list of what makes a good Christian. And you go down that list and you just start checking them off. It doesn't mean that those things on that list are not good things to do to love others as Christ loved them, to forgive others as you've been forgiven, those are great things. But the whole question is, are you going to do them in your ability of being a better you? Are you going to say, God, will you transform? Will you give me a new heart and a new mind? Because God, I admit, I'm kind of a judgmental person. And forgiveness does not really come natural to me. Even the times that I forgive, I kind of have to force myself. So will you give me a new heart and a new mind so that I can start really, that just becomes who I am? See, this is the term that we see throughout the whole New Testament, the word in Christ, in Christ. We don't see the word Christian that much, but we do see the term in Christ a lot. 
because that was the description of how we are to live out this Christian life in Christ, not in our own power. Mark chapter 5. As we begin to look at transformation, it's probably one of the most transformational you know, uh, stories in all the Bible. Uh, if Mark is telling these stories and, and these are real events uh, in chronological, chronological order, then this happens uh, after Jesus has uh, decided, you know, the people have come upon him. The Bible says that they throng upon him. In other words, he didn't have a moment to himself. And so he tries to get away. And he actually leaves the, the, the people there and they float across the sea. If you remember, that's when this great storm comes. Jesus is so exhausted that he's in the boat, but he's not waking up, even though they're doing one of these numbers in the waves. So much so that these experienced Galilean fishermen fear for their life. And remember, they go to Jesus and they say, do you not care? Do you not think that we're going to drown here? And Jesus wakes up. He says, man, where's your faith? And he calms the storm. They finally get to the other side. So this is kind of a, a retreat. You know, they're, they're wanting a break. Because Jesus, while he was fully God, he was fully man, and he's tired. He was exhausted in that boat. He's kind of getting a break, kind of like our spring break, our summer break, where you're not just, man, I just need a little bit of rest. Now I can get back to it. That's what the desire here. But look what happens. Mark chapter 5, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, out of the graveyard, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, one of the things that you're going to see in the text today is um, this man is possessed by demons. And there's a lot of people that today go, you know, I can see where thousands of years ago, you know, men believed in that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're kind of advanced. We're kind of smart people. And do you mean that really that demons would possess somebody? Yeah, because the Bible says it. It really does happen, guys. Now, can it happen to a Christian? No. If you're a Christian and the very spirit of God is here, I do not believe that demons can possess you. I do think that they can oppress you. I think we get oppressed all the times by heaviness. Have you ever been time and you just there's a heaviness there? And discouragement, almost like somebody just brought a discouragement and just placed it on your shoulders. And you feel like 10,000 pounds heavier. Yeah, oppression can come, but not where you're, you know, a demon comes inside you. But this is a guy that was, there was demons in him. And so I, I realized for those people that say, you know, I'm just kind of an intelligent person and I don't believe in all that. Guys, it's the Bible. I believe it. It says it. And I truly do believe that not only in that time, but in this time, it can still happen. I can tell you some stories afterwards if you, of, of times that, you know, I don't know for sure, but I, I would have said, you know, I really do think that that person possibly could have been possessed by a demon. Kind of extreme things out there. I haven't seen it much in 35 years of ministry, just a couple of times. But I believe it. So let's handle that part. This man is filled with demons. Look what it says. It says that he's not only is he demon-possessed, he's naked, and he comes tro- running toward Jesus. Now, okay, you're getting off the boat, Ricky. You're getting off the boat. And this naked, wild guy that has no clothes on starts running to you, shrieking. Okay? Okay. <laughs> you know, there's a part of you that going, okay, guys, set sail, set sail. Come on, get back in the boat. Look what happens, verse 3. 
this description of this guy. He lived among the tombs at his the graveyard, and no one could bind him anymore, even with the chain. They had put chains on him before, but he broke the chains. Verse 4, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. So he's just this wild, crazy guy going out there naked, kind of running around. Look at verse uh, 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, what that means. Uh, the word that's used there is a shriek. In the Greek, it even means to, to croak something. Not to croak like die, but to croak, a shrieking. So he made noise. He didn't just say words. He's kind of just screaming out these noises. And then the last part says, and he was cutting himself with stones. This is a picture of devastation, guys. This is destruction. This, this, is not, this is not what we would call a healthy person. Would you agree? This person has some, if we want to put it in modern technology or modern terms, this man has some issues. Okay? And he comes to Jesus and, and he lives in a graveyard. He doesn't live in a home. He's uncontrollable. He's crying out. He's naked. Now, it didn't say naked here. You're going, Bible, why did you say naked? Go read Luke's account. He gives a, a similar story. And in Luke's account, for whatever reason, Luke said that he's naked. Okay? For whatever reason, Mark either didn't notice or didn't say that. Okay? But in Luke's account, they're telling about the same story. That's why we have four Gospels. They all give us kind of a different view. And obviously, Luke had heard that this man was naked. So, and he cuts himself. Now, I want you to see the picture of complete devastation here. This man mentally is suffering. This man, would you agree, is not what we would call in his right mind. Whatever right mind is. This man has some mental challenges that are there. He's like a wild animal. He is self-destructive. He uh, not only has mental problems, but he has social problems. He is more comfortable with the dead than he is the living. He's not living in the home. He's not living in the city. He's living among the graveyard. Okay, he's living in the graveyard among the tombs. He's more comfortable with dead than he has the, uh, those that are alive. And it says in Matthew, Matthew also tells the same story, that uh, people could not even pass that way because of not only their fear from him, but he must have been a little bit aggressive. So he's got some mental challenges. He certainly is socially challenged. Physically, he's got some challenges. He's going around naked. He's cutting himself. And, and then spiritually... We don't, in our modern age, kind of get the full depth of what this description is. We get the demonic part, that he was possessed by demons. But there's even more here. He's in this town that was not known as the most spiritual towns. Okay, so he's kind of surrounded by Gentile people, not Jewish people, but Gentile people. Uh, Decapolis, it means ten cities. And this was kind of where the Gentiles went. And it was, you know, not to, to say it was like Vegas or something, but it was kind of like, you know, what happens in Decapolis stays in Decapolis. You know, it just wasn't, you know, the banner city of religious life. Okay, so he lives there. And then we see in the story, we're not going to talk much about this part of it today, but he's kind of there and there's a lot of swine herders around. I think that would be the proper term. If you are from an agricultural background and you have a better way of saying swine herder, then please tell me afterwards, Okay. But there's a lot of people keeping pigs around there. What do, yeah, so what, what do we know? The pig shepherds. Oh, bacon shepherd. Okay. What do we know about Jewish people and pigs? They don't. You know, unclean. 
unclean. So I want you to get the full grasp of, of this story and why Mark and Matthew and Luke are telling us. Because, you know, we're thinking, okay, this guy, the fact that he's naked, he's cutting himself, and he's living in the tombs is pretty bad. It goes deeper. Every aspect of this man's life, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually, is devastated. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Now, this voice that comes, and again, I know this is kind of strange to a lot of people. This is the voice of the demons within this man. And they speak out. And they actually speak some good theological truth. What do they call Jesus? They recognize who Jesus is. Jesus, you're the Son of the Most High God. And they begin to address Jesus because they know that Jesus has power over him. And when we read the other accounts, they said, you know, do not cast us into the abyss. That's the final kind of death place for the demons. And they said, don't, don't cast us out there. As we begin to look, Jesus then addresses and look in verse 9. And he says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. It wasn't just one demonic spirit. A legion, by Roman counts, could be up to 6,000. doesn't mean that it was exactly 6,000. A Roman legion was at, could be up to 6,000 soldiers. So this man is possessed not just by one demon, but a lot of demons. Okay? This is his life. This is his struggle. This is, again, the place where we would be real easy to say, things don't like happen like this anymore. But, guys, I... Go to a family member of someone who's dealing with alcohol or pornography or, or, or any type of substance abuse or depression or worry. And I will not attribute those directly to, okay, you're demon-possessed. But they are demonic in nature because they're oppressive. So please hear me when I say that, you know, do we have modern days where people are demon-possessed? I believe that we do. I don't think that they're frequent. But I do think that there's a lot of folks, there's a lot of friends, and there's a lot of family that we might have, and maybe ourselves personally, where we have dealt with a spirit of oppression in our lives where we feel trapped. You talk to somebody who's, who loves somebody that uh, has dealt with uh, the struggles of, of, of drinking and, and, and drugs or being hooked on drugs or whatever it might be, and they will tell you, yeah, it's almost demonic in the way that it can just kind of possess somebody. Again, I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. Your son, your daughter, your friend, your uncle, your aunt. I'm just saying it is like that. It's an oppressive type thing. That's the situation. But look what happens. And this is the point where I want to really drive home the difference between conforming and transforming. If you have somebody in your life, if you've been there yourselves, Someone who's been in the bondage of deep sin, really struggle with, uh, uh, you know, the heaviness of, uh, of some type of uh, a behavior that just has them in chains. And, folks, it can be depression. It can be worry. It can be those kind of things that are just heaviness. And we almost feel kind of trapped in there. There's two different ways that that can be approached. One is to start conforming. You just start changing everything that you can change to try to make it. 
Let me put it this way. Let's get personal. Have you ever known somebody who's really, really depressed and really, really struggling with that? And have you? Well, just be happy. I, I did that one time. In all seriousness, I did that one time. And I really meant it. And I meant it, I meant it in, in, the, in love. I meant it in, in all the earnestness that I could. And it was so offensive to this person. Oh, do you not think that I could just wake up in the morning and say, this is going to be a good day, that I would do that? Folks, when we see the life that God has called us to, and the life that we find ourselves in sometimes, it is not just a matter of changing some of the players on the board. It's not just rearranging the chairs on the deck of Titanic. What needs to happen is a change of heart and a change of mind to be able to break out of whatever that oppression is. But folks, really, that's all of our stories when it comes to sin. We may not have seen ourselves like this man, and yet in our sin, we kind of are this man. And what we need is not just, okay, put on some clothes, go shave, take a bath, and stop cutting yourself. See, that's the approach oftentimes we just think we can get these things right. But whatever's disturbing that heart and that mind just because you change the outside doesn't mean you change the inside. And folks, that was never, never, never the approach of Christ to anybody in need. He never once, you go find it for me, you bring it back to me and prove me wrong. Never once did Christ go, hey, go clean up your life, then come back to me. And yet, you know what I hear from people all the time? You invite them to church, you invite them to, hey, just say, hey, we'd love for you to come over. Well, you know, there's some things I need to get straight in my life, and then I might come. I get that. From a human perspective, I get that. But that was never the invitation to this door of the church or any other church. Get your life correct, then come join us, and we'll just have this great big holy huddle. No, we are people that are sinful and sick, and the only reason that we gather here, folks, is because we need to be transformed by what Christ has done for us. This is not, now I'm going old school, Dale Carnegie. How many of y'all know Dale Carnegie? Okay, that's why I thought one-third of the people here. <laughs> Always had to be careful. Uh, he was kind of a, a, you know, a, a motivational speaker type person back in the 60s and 70s. So I apologize to all the youth, all the millennials that have no concept of that person. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we can approach church, we can approach our own spiritual life that way. We talked this morning among the young marriage. What if we approach marriage that way? And we all admit it that there's a part of us. Yeah, when all of a sudden we, we get this conflict, hey, you're not around home enough. You're working too much and, and the kids need you and, and I need you. So what do we do? Okay, I'm going to start coming home 5 o'clock. I'm going to be home at 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock. I'm going to make a discipline to be there at 5 o'clock. And so for a while we change by conforming to a new standard. So at 7.30, I'll come home at 5. And it's not that it doesn't have some good effect. We're not talking about something that's evil here to conform and to do right things. But guys, do you see where that by itself just doesn't change the problem or the real need? And yet, I mean, let's, let's face it, in, in marriage, isn't that sometimes what we do? Is we just kind of try to conform? This is what she wants. This is what he wants. And God's design is to transform our mind and heart. 
so that I really begin to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And she really begins to love me, respect me, as the church is to respect Christ. Radical, guys. Because it's not just the rearrangement of chairs on the deck. It truly is going, hey, I need a new way of thinking and a new way of feeling. I need a new heart and a new mind. There's an inherent danger of conforming on the outside. Because here's the thing. When you just change the outside, you're always in fear of when the next shoe's going to fall. Ever had to share life with that alcoholic or somebody who's hooked on this or this and the other? It's hard, guys. Man, 30 days sober, 60 days sober, 120 days sober, a year sober. Those are all great things. Please hear this in the heart that it's given. But when you've lived in that setting, there's this inherent fear of, okay, yeah, one year, but will it be two years or will it be three years? You're always living, when it's just conformity and not a change of heart and mind, you're always waiting for that next shoe to drop. And that happens in every aspect of life, not just those problems. You're here and say, well, good, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm not this, that, and the other, so this isn't about me. No, we all deal with sin. And in that sin problem, we can do it by trying to conform our life to just making better choices, which is good. Or we can say, okay, God, will you give me a desire, transform my heart and mind, so I really do love my wife like Christ loved the church. Let's continue on. Christ doesn't want to offer us just a change of behavior. We're going through cycles in our life. He doesn't just clean up the outside. He gives us a new heart, new mind. Look what happens here, verse 14 and 15. He sends these, these demons out of this man, and he puts them into the pigs. They run over the cliff. And uh, it says in verse 14, The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. I mean, can you imagine when Jesus says, okay, I cast you legion out of this man and those demons go and get into the swine. The swine start going crazy. If you've ever watched like the Jesus movie, it's kind of one of those radical scenes where you're going, did that really happen? And these pigs start to grow, uh, start to run and they run off the cliff and they die. That's a strange scene. You don't see that every day. And that's what happened. And so the herdsmen, number one, to protect themselves, hey, we didn't do it here. It wasn't our fault. They go and tell everybody, and everybody's curious about this picture. What happened here? Look in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. Now, how many of y'all grew up in a small town? How many of you grew up and there was somebody in town that just kind of had a reputation? The guy on Andy Griffin. What's his name? Otis. Everybody watches out for Otis, right? Because we just kind of have a, a heart for Otis. Okay. If you grew up in a small town, you, you're kind of familiar with Do you think the townspeople know about this guy? I don't know what his name is. I don't know if they call him Crazy Charlie. I don't know. I'm not trying to be offensive. I don't know what they call him. But they know his reputation, okay? It's like when you're a kid and you thought that house was haunted four doors down. And you're going, man, don't go there. 
and the reputation gets bigger than life itself. They know this guy. They come out. They've heard about the pigs, but they come back and they see this demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed guy. Look at verse 15. The one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And what does the rest of the verse say? And they were afraid. Why were they afraid? They were in awe of what Christ did. What is this? This is not this man. We know this man to be crazy this way and and run around with no clothes and we have to keep the kids away and, and all this kind of stuff. And now he is sitting instead of running around. He's clothed. He's not naked. And he's in his right mind. He's not just kind of out there cutting himself and doing all these other things. There's a radical transformation. There's this before and this after picture. Carly and I love to watch these home shows. And I love at the end... You know, it all wraps up to the end. Here's the before, before picture and here's the after picture. And you're all, wow. What? An arrange, rearrangement of the furniture. No. You say, what a transformation. Because they just didn't take the couch and move it over here and paint one wall. What they did was they knocked out this wall and they changed this and they changed that. And you, sometimes you're going, is that even the same house? Because the transformation isn't just a rearrangement. It is a total transformation. And guys, wouldn't it be great if in our lives the gospel took such root and we live for Christ in such a way that people say, man, this isn't just a rearrangement of Bobby's life, but he has been transformed by God himself. Is that not your desire? Because it's the gospel. It's the only biblical model we have. Everything else is religion. It's the only biblical model that we have is this transformed life. Well, he's transformed. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man, that is Jesus, they're they're ready to leave now. The man who had been possessed with the demon begged him that he might be with him. Makes sense. And Jesus said, I don't know that they're ever going to start calling me crazy, Charlie. I don't know that they're ever going to forget, you know, all the crazy things I did. Can I come with you? Because number one, you've changed my life. You have radically changed my life. You've transformed my life. And, and I want to be one of your disciples. Can, can you have like a baker's dozen, 13 disciples instead of 12? Can I kind of come with you? Because you have changed my life and I want to stay with you. Now, when we just think through that, knowing that Christ is a kind person, knowing that he is gracious, knowing that he is loving, we kind of think that Jesus would say, come on, get in the boat. Verse 19. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. I know you want to kind of get on with your whole new life, but I'm telling you, my purpose for you is for people to go back and see the transformation that I've made in your life. Being in ministry long enough to, to see when I counsel couples, and sometimes they, you know, after maybe a year of counseling of that, and, um, you know, I don't see them at church anymore. 
I said, guys, man, we've been missing you. Yeah. Pastor, nothing against you. We love you. Thank you for the help. But you kind of know too much about us. I get that, guys. I get that. Fresh start. Man, we just want to go. But isn't it amazing that here, this guy who desires a fresh start, and it makes sense that he would get a fresh start, and that he even wants a fresh start, and Jesus says, no, I want you to go back, because they know you, and they know how kind of off the wall you were, and they're going to be amazed, just like this crowd is amazed, when they see the transformation. Guys, some of the hardest people you will ever witness to in your life is your family. But the ones that will really see, not a more religious you, but a transform you, is your family. Because they know you deeply and they see the authenticity. Hey, you haven't just kind of shaped up your moral code here. Man, your whole way of thinking, your whole mind is different now. So he sends him back. He becomes this missionary to this decapolis. Look at the last verse and then we'll go. Verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And what's the last part? Everybody marveled. Aren't you that guy? You kind of look like that guy, but you couldn't be that guy. Yeah, I'm that guy. Let me tell you how, how I got to be this way instead of that way. Here's what Christ has done for me. He becomes the first missionary in this Gentile city of the gospel and the life-changing power and transforming power of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news this morning, guys. This is what Christ offers you this morning. No matter what your past, no matter where you are, he doesn't offer you just, hey, get your moral code a little bit more directed. Get that compass out and make sure that it's pointing true north and you get a couple more things right. Clean yourself up. Start hanging out with more people that are cleaned up. No matter where you are, who you've been, what you've done, here's what Christ offers. And I'll give you a brand new heart. And I'll give you a brand new mind. And then you can go back and you can love on your family. And you can love on those around you. And they will be in awe. Not at how you have changed to become a better you. But what Christ has done in your heart. This is the gospel. This is our hope. This is the only thing we see in the Bible in the ministry of Christ. Never once does he send somebody out to get fixed on their own. And then come back. And he deals with them. He's the fixer. You're not the fixer, guys. This guy goes from devastation to transformation to proclamation. He says, you go proclaim. That word proclaim in the Greek is to herald a king. Remember, you've watched those movies? You know, the guy gets the thing out. The king is coming. That's the word. He tells this guy, you go back. I don't know if he had a horn or not. He said, you go back and you herald the king because the king is here. His name is Christ. And you go herald the king with everybody that you know. This is the hope of the gospel. And this is the invitation that he gives. If you've been shackled by religious moral code, not making light of that because we are to live holy lives. But if you're just trying to become a better version of yourself, you've got the gospel all wrong. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, this very day, I pray that we would be able to see, Father, the truth here. And uh, that's hard because our our mind is so geared to us kind of getting our stuff together. And 
Father, for us to take responsibility. And there is something responsible here. But, but Father, this man did nothing but come and run before Jesus. And Jesus transformed his life. Father, if we are going to have transformed marriages, if we're going to have transformed families, if we're going to have a transformed church, if we're going to have a transformed city, if we're going to have a transformed nation and a transformed world, then, Father, it is not getting others just to adapt to our moral code. Father, it is you coming and drastically transforming our heart and our mind so we're not the people we used to be. And what a testimony that will be. So, Father, we thank you that you invite us to come and be transformed. And so, Father, I thank you that this morning that that you would just start allowing the seed of thought, Father, this this way of thinking to to come in and, and really change the way that we would live our Christian life this next week. We need you. Every hour we need you. And Father, we pray all these things in the hope of Christ, in the blessed promise of Christ, in the finished work of Christ. We pray these things expectantly. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.